0: Hi I'm Charlotte and
1: I'm Lauren. Our pronouns are she her. This is Myth turns the page. Our special episodes where we have no idea who to trust. We don't even trust each other and we get our thriller on with Gina Blacksell.
0: Lauren no offense but I don't think I can trust you. Well I don't think I can trust you either. Isn't it a good job that we have Gina here to help us work out if we can trust each other? I'm not taking
2: any responsibility for that.
1: (laughs) Well, hi, Gina. We are so thrilled to have you back. And so far, you're our second returning guest. So at the moment, it's a very exclusive club. Oh, I'm honoured to belong to
2: it. And I'm also honoured to be back again and really looking forward to chatting.
0: What have you been reading so far that you've loved?
2: So far this year, sorry. So far this year. My mind always goes blank. When people ask this question, but recently I've actually been reading quite a lot of middle grade books because I've wanted to brush up my knowledge on that and I've read some really fun ones. I'm reading my first Catherine Rundle book at the moment, which is great. I've got the first Loki book, which is everywhere. But I guess if we're talking about YA, I've actually got a handy little book pile that is just on my table from when I didn't tidy it up earlier, which is quite good. Um, Books I've read this year and I've enjoyed, I enjoyed Boy Like Me, which is by Simon James Green set in 1994, which I don't really remember, but there's the odd reference in there, but I'm like 90s, yay in there and I also enjoyed reading uh, a million to one which is a heist set on the Titanic even though the Titanic in general makes me feel really queasy um, as a topic so I've I've had some good ones for middle grade I am going to recommend
1: Andy Sagar because I had we had him on and he was so good and I loved the book so much
0: it was cute so
1: yeah
2: I recommend those definitely Oh, that's amazing. He's a familiar name to me. But I mean, I do read middle grade, but I think a lot of my knowledge is slightly out of date. So yeah, I don't have a pen, but I'm going to mentally bank that.
0: Can we talk about the cover? Because it looks really cool and contemporary with the eye and the eyeliner. Yeah, I'm really
2: pleased with the cover, actually. Something I want to do is try and recreate the eyeliner as the girl on the front cover is doing it, because she's clearly got mad eyeliner skills. But she has her fingers in the place, but I wouldn't put my fingers if I was doing eyeliner. So I'm just desperate to recreate that at some point and see if I can kind of manage it and be dexterous enough. I think Charlotte got the
1: book first physically. I think I was at work or something and straight away it's like, oh, my God, I love the cover.
2: So
0: I like that it looks like the title is written in the eyeliner.
2: Yeah, a little bit like how in horror books sometimes you see text written in blood, but for this one, written in eyeliner.
0: <laughs> or in lipstick on the mirror or something.
2: <gasps> yes, yes. Often when the mirror's frosted up and there's like some kind of dire warning <laughs> in lipstick. Or even looking on the back when it says somebody
1: is obsessed with Mia Hawkins and it's got the open eyeliner on the back.
2: So that sort of ties it in. Yeah, I love the back. It's it's actually my favourite bit just because it's so bold with the black and the red. I love it. And it suggests
1: danger as well. Like, you know, this book is going to be dramatic.
0: She's felt their gaze on the back of her neck. She's heard their footsteps walking home in the dark. She's glimpsed a shadowy figure and a flash of a camera. Mia doesn't know Jade, but Jade knows everything about Mia. In fact, she's turned herself into Mia's doppelganger. From her long brown hair to the minute details of her outfits, she's so convincing that when Jade's body is found by the cliffs, everyone believes it's Mia. But Mia can't work out why anyone would imitate her or why they'd end up dead, as life as she knows it is decimated. She's left with no idea who to trust, or if she will be the next one to die. Last time you were here, you talked about fairy tale retellings with Lauren, and in All the Better to See You With, there were some mystery elements. How does your writing process differ from writing an out-and-out thriller to one with like elements of mystery?
2: I think it's a similar process, but I think that the fairy tale books with elements of mystery, because there's lots of other stuff like the world building and looking back to the fairy tale and incorporating those elements. They're actually easier to write because I don't tend to overcomplicate the plotting. For the out and out thrillers, I kind of on a first draft throw the kitchen sink at my manuscript and I massively overcomplicate it. And then when I edit, I normally have to take out subplots, merge characters into each other, you know, knock out entire chapters. So I could actually learn from my writing process with the fairy tale books, just because they're smoother. I think it's because when you start writing and you have quite a simple plot concept, like this one, it's about a stalker, about an obsession, I kind of worry that I won't have enough ideas and elements to sustain the book, which is why I add so many in. And I really should have learned this lesson by now because I've written quite a few books now, but I'm clearly not going to learn it and continue throwing the kitchen sink about. And do you have to think about creating characters in a different
1: way? Because in this book, we have quite a few different people and we'll discuss this in more detail, especially in spoilers. But you have multiple people who behave in a suspicious way and we need motives we need to believe that loads of the characters in the book could be could be the the guilty person
2: yeah you need to bear that in mind and it's quite hard to juggle the number of characters as well because you've obviously got your protagonist and then a protagonist is always going to have one or more friends you know sometimes you might have the friends being suspicious sometimes not then they've got family and they're all kind of necessary characters. You need to have page times. And in YA, you're going to have a love interest as well, who may or may not also be a suspect. Then you've got to have all of the other characters there. And it's just difficult to juggle the number of characters because in thrillers and mysteries, I am not a fan of having a fringe character that we see once or twice turning out to be the perpetrator. And that's not a spoiler. It's something that I say everywhere because I believe it to be true. So if you want to have a number of suspects who could have committed the crime, you've got to give them a decent amount of page space as well, which is really tough. That's why quite often with the thrillers, I end up later on merging characters into each other. Uh, Like in this book, I originally had another suspect um, who was somebody else on the quiz team with me as she participates in a quiz challenge, which is quite similar to university challenge, but for people of sixth form age. And he was originally going to be another suspect, but I just did not have enough time for him on the page. So I had to get rid of him. So I think I've got the maximum number of characters I could have, but making them all suspicious in different ways, different motives, having them being distinct. It is quite hard work. I mean, cliche, it's like you're juggling and there's lots of balls in the air and you're trying to keep them going.
1: And I really need to know where did the inspiration come from? And this isn't throwing shade to anyone who has done a single white female story, but the story has been done quite a few times already. So I really love that you've done your take on it and you've twisted that kind of trope that we have. And well, I mean, oh my God, the book was amazing. But I love the fact that you took something that can that has been not done to death, but it's a little bit overdone. And you twisted it in such a cool way.
2: Oh, thank you. I think the thing is I always wanted to write an obsession stalker story because it's the intimacy between the stalker and the victim that's just really juicy stuff. As a writer. And the fact that the stalker doesn't necessarily mean the victim harm, but they end up harming them, making them paranoid, worming into their life in little ways. So it's just a, such a fascinating dynamic to work with. Um, but you're right that it has been done quite a lot. And I guess when someone says, oh, it's an obsession story, you think, oh, I know what that's going to be. So it's a case of just twisting that. And that's why. I wanted to, you know, have at the start of the book, the initial mystery is, oh, gosh, there's a girl who's copying me. She's making herself into my double. I think she's obsessed with me just because doppelgangers is quite an intriguing concept as well. And that, I guess, puts a little bit of a fresh hook on the it's another obsession story.
0: Are the locations in this book based on real places or real places themselves?
2: Yes, they are. So South Haven, which is where Mia and her friends live, it's basically a smaller version of Brighton. I really love seaside towns of all shapes and forms. So hip seaside, like Brighton, really crap seaside, I kind of love as well. Old fashioned seaside that's in decline. And then posh seaside, places like Southwold, for instance. So I always wanted to write something that had the sea and the beach, because as growing up in like <laughs> London, <laughs> the idea of going down to the beach after school with your friends and having a Coke and watching the waves just seems quite exotic to me. So it was kind of on my to-do list to tick off. In an original draft, they all lived in a crap seaside town. But... I kind of jazzed it up and made it a bit more glam and that it's definitely better that way. So I'll save Crap Seaside Town for another book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of the first things we learn in the book is that a mystery girl seems to have dyed her hair very similar to our main character Mia and she's dressing like her and Mia dresses very uniquely, very distinctively. So do you think her friends should be taking things a bit more seriously at this point? Because both her boyfriend Aaron and her friend Oliver they they seem to say, oh, it's no big deal,
2: yeah, I think they probably should take it more seriously because even putting anything aside, it's a really weird thing for someone to do, especially if they've not approached you directly, they've not spoken to you or anything like that. I I remember as a kid seeing a kind of a comic strip I think in Bunty about a girl called Copy Kate. Who copied all of her friends, and it was treated a bit like a joke until I think in the final strip it turned turned really sinister. Um, I haven't thought about that in years, actually. Tangent, but that was presented as a funny thing, and it it really shouldn't be because someone's clothes are a really big expression of their identity, particularly if they're really quite unique or unusual. And if somebody is emulating that, in a sense, they're kind of thieving identity, and it just has these dark hints but I guess the boys just want to brush it off as a joke because it seems quite trivial oh it's a girl dressing in these dresses and dyeing her hair so what? I wrote in my
1: notes like at this point really early on in the book that I thought Mia needed to actually trust her own instincts and that she relied a bit too much on them downplaying it.
2: Yeah, she does. I mean, she's very dependent early on, on what other people think, particularly Aaron, her boyfriend, but also her friends, because academically, they get better grades than her. So she doesn't really trust her instincts. And she does lean on other people too much, which is frustrating, but I guess realistic.
1: And I really liked that you made me a vegan. You gave her a really different fashion sense. Like I love Japan and Japanese culture. So I really liked the fashion and the the anime references and the fact that she loves K-pop like me. What made you kind of craft her and create her in this way?
2: Interesting question. I'm coming up with her character. I wanted her to be somebody who was, I guess, not your typical thriller heroine, someone who's gutsy, who's brave, who sticks up for themselves, who doesn't necessarily think of the danger, the personal danger. I wanted somebody a little bit softer who might not know what to do. So that was kind of the core of her character But in terms of the anime and the manga, when I was a teenager, I was really into those things, Um, and they were quite hard to get when I was a teenager as well, so they seemed very exciting when you did get your hands on them. So I wanted, I guess, to reflect a little bit of subculture in the character, but a kind of subculture that would be accessible to teenagers today who are lucky enough, if they go into a bookshop, they've got a really huge manga section there, which teenage me would have been dead jealous of. And I think you also want a couple of real life, not even quirks, but real life things to help you picture fictional characters like her being a vegan for instance it's not a huge basis in the plot but it's just part of her so yeah I wanted someone who is a little bit alternative but not the not like the other girls trope because that (laughs) makes me want to vomit but just someone who the reader could instantly kind of picture but also connect with because of her personality
0: I also like that being a teenager she's trying to find her own way so she's vegan but her family are not and she's interested in manga and and k-pop and dressing in a certain way and it also in a way makes it more obvious when someone is copying it
2: yeah exactly I mean purely from a plot point of view it makes it really clear because a lot of teenagers tend to dress in quite a similar way I've got a sixth form college in where I live and I see teenagers about quite a lot and they all dress quite in quite a similar way. So if someone was copying them, I don't know if it would be noticed so easily, but because Mia does have a particular fashion and she's into Mori girl aesthetics, which is niche these days, even in Japan, it just really sticks out and she would notice instantly.
0: Quite early on in the book, Mia starts seeing... RIP messages because a body was discovered at a place that was special to her and her boyfriend Aaron and people genuinely believed it was her how freaked out do you think she would have been at this point
2: oh gosh massively because although she knows looking at those messages I'm not dead because I'm right here the fact that everyone else has jumped the gun and has already gone into those I guess those tributes you see in places that are meant well but come across a little bit, I don't know, a little bit cringy, a little bit textbook, a little bit like people just type them out without really thinking of them. But those could be applied to you. And it doesn't go quite this far in the book, but almost as though you can see little snapshots about what people think about you because they think that you're gone. And that's a really, really chilling concept. It's a little bit like what would people say at your own funeral? Again, it doesn't go that far, but almost think I'm here. I'm part of the world, but other people think I'm not. And I'm already gone. Really, really freaky.
1: If, it, if that was me, I would hope at this point that people close to me or not her family, because they don't know at this point, but that my friends might start to take things a little bit more
2: seriously. That with that similar, that people genuinely believe that was me that had died. Yeah, I think that's a good point because that is really escalating the similarity. And okay, you laugh off a few dresses and a scarf, but if kind of casual people actually mistake Mia for this other girl, then that is a big issue that's really gone over the line from being just a funny thing into definite sinister territory.
1: I don't think that this is a spoiler, but if it is, we can move it to the spoiler section. How do you go about plotting... The escalation of behaviour. Me and Charlotte have never been stalked, but our our understanding of those kind of situations are that this is what happens. Like you know, in documentaries or whatever that you see, it starts off really subtle. So our kind of understanding is what is like reflected in what you've written. So did you do research into like real life case studies or anything? Like how did you plot from something? really basic to a point where there is something big that happens. And I don't think that's a spoiler because it's kind of the format of obsessive stories.
2: Yeah, exactly. And quite a lot of that comes across in the blurb anyway. So I guess it's twofold. You want to be true to life. And I think that's important with a book dealing like this topic. I also haven't been stalked, though I know of some people who have. And I think especially when you're treading on the territory of something that doesn't apply for you, you want to get it right. So I did do quite a lot of research about stalking and about types of stalking, both reading things online, but there are also quite a few documentaries that I watched about it. I remember one woman in particular who had a male stalker, and she said that every single day of the year, she would get a handwritten card that would come into her house from this guy. And, you know, I love receiving a card through the letterbox. It's a really nice, joyful thing. But to have that completely hijacked by this guy and also that intimate element of it just coming into your house is really, really chilling. I mean, that might not happen so much now because the post is kind of dodgy a lot of the time, but (laughs) the point still stands. And that's really stuck with me. And you also hear of people who even move away and do something really drastic to try and break from the stalker. So that was a lot of research that I did. But from a writing point of view, I guess you want to establish the initial situation and the fear and then continue to ramp it up and escalate it because readers expect that. From a book so that's all about pacing really and about thinking what is right for this point in the story how do I progress the stalking at a rate that's going to intrigue a reader but also feels as though it could be realistic so it's a balancing act when you're drafting you don't always get it right but hopefully the finished product is well paced and also true to life I loved it so
1: yay what I find really interesting as well, that card situation that you mentioned, obviously for the woman, it was terrifying, but did the guy think he was doing a nice thing or that's what intrigues me as well. Like the perspective of the person doing it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of the time the stalkers think they're doing something nice or it's flattering. And I think in this case, and I don't, they didn't have an interview on the documentary with the guy, but I think he meant it in the same kind of way that somebody would send a good morning text or a good night text, just a, I'm thinking of you, here's a card through the door, which is just remarkable. But I guess they're not thinking about things in a realistic way. And I guess he justified it to himself by saying, well, I'm not doing her any harm. It's It's just a card.
0: This is the point of the episode where, if you still don't know who to trust, still looking for clues, and you're still suspicious of everyone, put the podcast down, go read the book, discover who the stalker is, and then come back. We're about to talk spoilers.
1: So, now that we're in spoilers, let's just put our cards on the table. Charlotte, how soon were you suspicious about Oliver? Well, I messaged you on page 150, and I said I had three names. You were earlier on in the book. And you brought him up and I never considered him. And because you thought him, that's what made me think of him because I trust you more in these situations because my first red flags from him came like page 212.
0: I, I don't know how it was that late, but I'm trying. <laughs> so I've been trying, while well, while you guys have been talking, I've been trying to find the bit where I suspected him and I can't find it. I think it was... There was either a conversation or when he checked in on her or something, and it was just a little bit too much. And I was a bit like, oh, but also I suspected at one point I suspected nearly everybody, but (laughs) um, I thought it was going to be the teacher more than Oliver. But then I also thought that's quite dark. So I wasn't sure how dark you were going to get in a (laughs) YA novel. I, um, I
2: love dark I normally have to have the darkness <laughs> reeled in by people who know more than I do so there's probably nothing that I will stop at except animal cruelty because I'm I just couldn't deal with that I love that you ladies have particular page numbers <laughs> where, you're, <laughs> where you're like this is where my suspicion <laughs> started
0: I, because no, I I, am. I can't so- find it But I was was, uh, not as far as Lauren when we were having this conversation and I'd already thought, oh, I think maybe it's Oliver. Yeah, because I guess the
2: thing with him is that I was going for the hiding in plain sight angle, which goes back to what I said earlier about I really hate murderers and perpetrators being that creepy neighbour that you saw once or (laughs) whoever. Um, And I guess with him, he's almost positioned as though he could be the ultimate love interest but he's also there at the same time and I think because he's there and because he's male you're going to be suspicious of him.
0: I thought initially he was going to be the gay best friend and then he just there was just little things he did and I was a bit like oh he fancies her and then everyone else started saying he clearly fancies you.
2: Yeah, because there's, I think it's in chapter two or three or something, when they're at the cinema, there's the popcorn in the hair moment. Like Mia's got Mm. this tiny tiny kernel of popcorn in her hair and he wants to just pull it out and he's touching her. I think I was actually made to remove a line where he specifically identified himself as a straight guy because one of my beta readers who read the whole thing, she didn't suspect him at all because she thought he was gay the whole time. And then she got to the denouement and she was like, oh, okay, I've I've misread this. But I think that straight boy line kind of died. But because he's clearly into Mia in a romantic sense, I guess the context maybe makes it clear. So on I messaged you and I, was, I said, I'm about 150
1: pages in. There are three people I'm suspicious of. And you said, maybe three for me. I'm on 120. And yeah, we had two the same. And then Oliver.
0: Yeah. So I, was, I, can't I, I can't find, find... it where
1: you said why. I
0: don't think I did. I think you said you said because,
1: all right. There were times because... I felt he kept checking in. That was a bit much. I honestly don't know when I started to suspect. I thought he was a gay best friend at first. Then he seemed to be the nice guy in quotation marks, who's <laughs> nice until you reject them.
2: Yeah, we all know about them. They think they're nice, genuinely nice, but they really aren't because they're just using all of the effects of nice guys without actually walking the walk.
0: Yeah, and that's the, the impression I got from him. It was until he got rejected and then he would turn. And obviously being a teenager, you can't always deal with rejection very well, but it was just a bit like he always got her a brownie and he always like saved her a seat. And he always, uh, which in like you said, with some things, you know, receiving a letter is nice. Having a brownie saved for you is nice. It's a nice thing to do. It's a nice gesture until you don't want it.
2: Yeah, and it's almost excessive. And then you feel bad and like you have to be nice to that person because they're being excessive. I am Mia kind of normalizes it because she's a nice girl and she responds to these kinds of gestures, which I guess maybe as a teenager you might a little bit more because you have less life experience and you don't necessarily see that as a red flag. And because she's only seeing him as a friend, she's just viewing all of his actions in that kind of context.
1: Did we? No okay so we didn't ask this question so I'm gonna ask you now she kisses him at at his party why why does she do
2: that you just caught <laughs> up in the moment yeah so I mean it's a hard moment because she's really crossing a line here so basically she's drunk and she's feeling really needy because she's Broken up with Aaron, that's already happened. This book has quite a slim timeline as well. So Mm. I think that like happens maybe a week ago, two weeks max. So she's broken up with Aaron. She's a romantic girl who really enjoyed being in a couple with him. And she's kind of hoping that something's going to happen with Quinn at this party as well. And it doesn't because that goes wrong and it's not the right moment. And she kind of thinks She doesn't exactly fancy Oliver. She's just a bit confused about that. And he's a good enough looking guy and he's there and she wants someone. She basically she wants to make out with someone because she's really missing that kind of physical touch. And she's had that completely gratuitous moment with him where he puts his shirt in the washing machine and she sees him topless, which every time I came up against that, I was like, I've got to remove this because it makes me cringe and it's gratuitous. And it is in the final manuscript. So (laughs) basically he's there, she's drunk. It's just a combination of things. And I think she knows it's not the right thing really, but she just gets carried away with it and feeling safe with him.
1: I've all been there. I wondered if he had maybe handled that situation better. This was before I got to the end and I was like, oh, actually he's a, a piece of shit. But I wondered at the time if he'd maybe not pressed it and gave her some space to figure things out because like you said it takes place over a really slim timeline if she might not have come to see him in that way yeah possibly and I think she fucked up then
2: yeah exactly because he again he thinks he's being a nice guy because she kisses him and then he makes the point of basically checking for consent, which is what you're supposed to do. But he also wants to hear her say, I want you to kiss me. And that's a kind of power play. So it's not just about the consent and him feeling like he's being a nice guy. But he kind of assumes after that moment that they're going to get together and it's just too pressured for her. So I think if it backed off a little bit and it had not been so full on, he would have had a better chance of getting with her because... They get on and she is attracted to him on some level. So yeah, he didn't play his cards right there. No, I thought he was an idiot then. <laughs> so the real name that
1: I had suspicions about for a while that Charlotte didn't was Layla. And the point that I sort of stopped, stopped suspecting her was when we found out that Jade had definitely met this secret boyfriend because I was suspicious that it could have been just like a text on online relationship because we don't know much about it at first but then when they had definitely met I figured okay it probably wasn't Layla because then it's two people involved and that seems too complicated so that's when she dropped off my
2: radar. That's so interesting that you were suspicious of Layla and I can see why because quite early on she's coded as liking girls and that's a specific choice I mean they're kind of you know the creepy lesbian trope is just one that makes my skin crawl, and I wouldn't do it. But the fact that she is into girls is there, so I can see why your thoughts went down there. I mean, I think at some point the stalkers identified, while well, the killer as well, as being definitely male, and that's not a mm, well. The author's saying it's male, but that's just a bit of misdirection. It's clear that it definitely is, and she
1: hates Aaron. And she never really says, yes, it's really serious that this person is copying you and all this stuff. No, there are points when she's a bit shitty to Mia and gets upset about things. And some of it, she has a point, but I know just a few little things that just seemed a bit off for me.
2: Yeah, she's got a few blind spots. She's got a blind spot with her brother. She's quite blunt and straight talking. I mean, she's great when the shit really hits the fan but early on she's not incredibly supportive because in her mind what Mia needs to do is really simple and she shouldn't have been with Aaron anyway and she tries to kind of call Mia out when they meet at the cinema on her relationship with Aaron but she just pushes Mia away so yeah Layla although she's ultimately a really good character she doesn't handle some things amazingly because she and Mia have quite a turbulent friendship anyway
0: I just saw it as a teenage girl friendship where you're kind of frenemies and, you know, you want their opinion, but you also don't want their opinion. So when Layla gives it to her, she's like, oh, no, I don't like that. <laughs> like, But you wanted it. You wanted her. <laughs>
2: yeah, there's an element of that. And also with them, they're just really different people as well. So they're going to keep clashing about things like that.
0: And maybe she just didn't like Aaron because, you know, we've all had friends who their boyfriends have been rubbish yeah they might be, exactly might be nice guys but for not necessarily right for the person
2: yeah and they take our friends as well I think most women have had the experience of a friend who's got a boyfriend and just completely dropped off the map and then when the boyfriend dumps them or it breaks down or whatever they suddenly come back and that It's just such a frustrating kind of friend type. I mean, Mia does do that to Layla a little bit, but she does at least realise that later on. And I would like to believe like in her life outside the book, she will not drop her friends for a guy again. Obviously, I know this all now, now that (laughs) I finished the book, but at the time.
0: I just didn't suspect Layla.
1: I should just trust your judgment.
2: always.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not always. I'm not always right. You're mostly right.
1: Like if we were keeping score.
2: Maybe you should keep score, you know, little, <laughs> little sheets. Or maybe I'm just uh, suggesting something that will antagonise you here. I know that Charlotte's better at this than me. It's okay. I've, I've come to accept that. Major piece. It's, Yeah. It's,
0: when when I was younger, this is going to show my age now, when when I was younger, we used to watch like Jonathan Creek and Midsummer Murders and stuff like that. You know, that kind of like lighthearted mysteries And me and my mum nearly always got the killer within the first like two minutes. We went that that person did it. I just
2: also watch those. I would love to watch some old ones and see if I can do that because I watch a lot of Scandi noir now, and my husband and I have about a nine out of ten success rate of predicting the killer because so often it's a character, and you just look at them and think right. Why is that character in this story? Why are they there? They have no purpose, therefore they are the killer. And it just works so much, which is why I think I hate the creepy neighbor actually being (laughs) the perpetrator because on TV it happens so much. And I think, gosh, I've just suffered through 10 hours just to have this thing I already knew reveals.
0: What I did like in your book is the subtle ways that the stalker worked and built up what they did over time. Because in real life, harassment isn't always massive actions, you know, it's systematic ways in which Mia noticed the stalker was playing her and they seemed really realistic. And then at times it's her or her friends convinced her that, you know, it's no big deal. But even even before that, we had an interaction with a drunk man. And by the time it's over, Mia's like, oh, oh, maybe I made it up or it's not that big a deal. And she convinces herself that it's nothing. And then we see that again with the stalker and and with what the stalker does. But things like deleting the messages on her phone and then returning the phone to her, deleting the photos of her and her boyfriend and the and the Instagrams, it's like they're really violating, but they're really subtle because how do you prove it? yeah exactly i mean his
2: fingerprints aren't on the dna database or anything so even if the police fingerprint the phone which they wouldn't do they're not going to find anything it's just these little subtle things that play into his plan of well of course i'm going to delete all of the pictures of her boyfriend because he no longer exists but really really pick pick you apart i mean we all have loads of stuff on our phone and if somebody goes into something that's really very intimate and rifles through it it's just horrendous and I think doubly so if you're a teenager as well and it it is it is violation but it's not criminal
0: and also what are the police gonna do she goes to the police and say I think I think all my messages have been deleted they're gonna be like okay
1: yeah can't help you it's that moment as well where she sees the wallpaper. I think it's the wallpaper on her phone has been changed to the date that she's been told by her stalker that they want to take her on. And
2: it's like that scene in the park. It's so creepy. Oh, yeah. it's And also, I imagine the wallpaper on the phone to just be this totally like Adobe stock generic image of I think it's like a picnic blanket or something like that that is almost this cardboard cutout romance thing that Mia would have once thought she would have wanted that kind of stuff. But the romantic gestures just been completely subverted by the stalker, which is horrible as well.
1: Is it worse if it's just like a generic Google photo? Or is it worse if he's gone and set it up and taken a picture?
2: Oh, good setup.
1: Because there I mean, points for up. effort with the setup,
2: but yeah I think if I'd had more time I would have loved to have done that because that would have been so creepy but it happens at nighttime, and I already think that Oliver is probably not getting very much sleep doing all of these activities but yeah he just doesn't have time to sort of set up a picnic blanket but he totally would have done if he could. So the question that I thought of while we were talking
1: there's a point when a phone is discovered by so there's a little creepy situation where Mia is suspicious of someone and then Oliver does has his little hero moment and gets a phone off of somebody who seemingly is is the stalker but it's the buddy from the quiz team what does he actually say to him in this situation how does he convince him to help you can't be honest with him surely
2: so I think what Oliver says to Chris who's the boy on the quiz team and used to be at a suspect in an early draft before I got rid of that. Chris is really socially awkward and wants friends and I think Oliver says to him, "Oh, hey Chris, you know we're we're guys here, so I really like Mia and I want to set up this this little stunt so I can play hero and she falls into my arms." And because Chris is really not very socially astute, he just thinks, "Oh, someone who's kind of up from me on the coolness ladder wants me to help this almost feels a bit like a computer game I'll definitely go along with this so I think Chris just thinks it's a kind of harmless thing so Oliver can get Mia and later just before the quiz when he sees them and Oliver kind of I don't know if he he leans in with a kiss kisses Mia's cheek and Chris kind of gives him a big thumbs up because he's like oh yeah job done I've like played my part in this matchmaking Things. So he just he's just a teenage boy who is not good at social interaction and just kind of thinks it's cool.
0: Well, you say that Chris at one point was a suspect as well. Is that why at the end Harper says, Oh, I think he was always talking about a game, so that you think of Chris.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's a hangover. That's such a good spot. And also, I didn't want to specifically say it's a book or a film because of all of the boys who are suspects I think Oliver is the only one who really watches Hmm. watches films or is particularly bookish so that feels like a slightly early giveaway so yeah that's why she says game you're so sharp.
0: Was Oliver always going to be the person behind everything or did you change that through edits you know as much as I thought it might be Oliver I definitely suspected Mr Ellison quite a lot but then I thought that would be too dark like I mentioned because then that's a whole other thing about grooming and oh my god he was so creepy so many red flags so many red flags ivy can do better
2: she can do better mr ellison is exceptionally creepy and believe it or not i toned him down what Um, i know i really toned him down he there was originally a scene where i will get back to oliver in a second but when mia runs out out of the cinema after she's had her little arguments with Oliver and Layla and it's raining and Mr. Ellison's there. Originally, rather than just sitting and waiting for her mum to pick her up, he gave her a ride home in his car, um, which is just clearly a no-no for many different reasons. Um, And that was just even creepier. But again, I was advised against, against doing that because it just felt far too obvious Um, also my husband's a teacher so I find kind of teachers and students getting close particularly icky but yeah that was originally a scene but to return to Oliver it was always him he was the stalker and the obsessed one and I think that's stems from the fact that he regards himself to be such a nice guy and kind of a bit of a catch but no one has appreciated that before And I think regarding yourself to be a nice guy and seeing all of the gestures as good ones and thinking, well, ultimately she will be with me because I'm everything she wants. I've made myself into what she wants. Yeah, that kind of mindset with someone who believed that they were in the right just kind of came through very strongly to me. So it was always him. And I think he was the character that I came up with first, uh, really, and what his uh, sort of agenda was. And I tried having him as more of a fringe character, but that didn't work. So Bennett felt like he had to be at the centre of the story as her friend, kind of hiding in plain sights.
0: It's a bit incel-esque. Yeah, it definitely
2: is. The idea of, well, she needs to appreciate me and I love her, but I also kind of hate girls for rejecting me. I mean, his past isn't picked into too much, but he's never had any success with girls before which is why he feels that he has to date Jade so I think there are probably roots of some incel thinking there though it never really comes to fruition I was speaking to this guy online once and we never went on
1: a date we sort of messaged for maybe like two three weeks and then I said actually you know I don't really I'm not going to go on a date with you and stuff like that we'd never met and he went into this whole sob story about, oh, nice guys, blah, blah, blah. And I just lost my shit at him. And I was like, just because you're nice doesn't mean I owe you anything. Mm-hmm. And I gave him like a real essay and it was just like, okay.
0: <laughs> she couldn't say anything. Well, there's, yeah. there's nothing to say to that, is there really? No. No. I'm sorry, but they're not going to do that. It's this sense of
2: entitlement, I think, that even with guys who are quite normal, you get, oh, I've been nice to her, therefore. I'm entitled to xyz it's like when you go out on dates with a guy and you have you know the drink for dinner some guys almost think well I've, I've done these things I've wined and dined her what am I getting in return you know where's my action and then if a woman says no it's a bit oh well I'm really nice going back to Mr creepy
1: Mr Allison for a second a moment I really liked was so Oliver is vegan we haven't touched on that and he Mr Allison at one of the quiz team meetings <laughs> gets her a special like vegan drink (laughs) and not not for Oliver and there's that moment where Oliver's a bit like oh
0: and especially now we know that he's the killer it's like
2: (laughs) yeah I know it's because Mr Allison doesn't really give a toss about (laughs) Oliver's dairy preferences but it is a little bit of a kind of f you kind of thing especially as oliver's basically a bit of a fake vegan anyway there was originally a line where he's having his sort of uh slightly crazy denouement where i had to delete it because my editor said this is too funny for this moment where i think he said i even went fucking vegan i've been craving hamburgers and chicken and proper cheese everything and i haven't had it because of you that would have been I... funny <laughs> It was it was funny. It was not those exact words, but I kind of had to remove it. But I feel that this boy's rage at becoming a fake vegan to impress a girl would kind of be immense. I was just about to ask you, is he actually vegan or did he do that just for her? He did that just for her because he's trying to impress her. I feel like he's probably throughout the book been suffering through cravings for kind of meat and cheese and stuff. And maybe that's part of why he's so off the rails as well. (laughs)
1: Just find it hard to have sympathy
2: no I find it hard to have sympathy as well I mean big deal
1: mate I was so ready to send you like angry messages with thankfully you didn't hurt the cats but I was really worried oh I mean, poor
0: Dottie I thought the cat was going to be dead
2: yeah oh so because we're in spoiler territory I can say I'm never going to do something like that to an animal in any of my books because it's... I've got two cats. I grew up with dogs. I have a complete soft spot for animals. I think there's a reference at some point to Aaron shielding Mia from missing pet posters because yeah. she cries over them. And that's basically me. I can't deal with them. So while I might flirt with hurting animals, no animals are ever going to be seriously harmed in my books because I will just like lose lose myself if that happens.
0: Good. I told my boyfriend, I was like, no, the cat's dead. And then it kept going. I made him hold my hand, but then it, then we kept going, and the story moved on. The fact that he helped her look for the cat as well—so
1: outrageous, <laughs>
2: yeah. But he's loving every second of it. Oh, I bet he is. He doesn't. Oliver doesn't mean the cat any particular harm because he does genuinely like animals. I think she just gets out while he's in there, but it's just too good an opportunity to kind of watch her suffer and really stress out over over her beloved cat. So yeah, he's loving it. I'm surprised now that we know everything that he didn't
1: help her find the cat and he wasn't a savior in that way. Like imagine he'd they'd somehow found Dot, or she'd been with, with Oliver when they'd somehow found Dotty and he became her hero for returning her cat to her. Like how amazing would that have been? See, he's, he thought about things all wrong. <laughs> That's
2: a missed opportunity. He should have like tried that earlier yeah, the cat hero, because she'd totally have fallen for that. I mean by the point it happens, he's kind of moved on from being passionately in love with her, and he wants her to suffer. but maybe he didn't know her as well as he thought. He should have just gone for Dotty. One thing that we
1: liked about the book as well is that so Mia's world is feeling smaller, safety wise as the book goes on. But her actual worldview seems to widen. And she's having a conversation with Quinn and he tells her that her friends don't always know best. And she does realise that other people's opinions aren't always valid. And you said earlier that her needing that from her friends was a big part of her character. So was this moment like a big
2: thing for you to include? Yeah, I think it's important for her because she grows in strength and convictions and realises that Okay, maybe she is an academic underachiever, but actually she's got plenty to offer, but I kind of felt like it needed to be spelt on the page as well, just to make that a little bit clearer. I think it's something that she kind of knows herself before Quinn points it out, but she has this little moment of thinking, you know what, he's actually right. And he's also kind of a vehicle for her realising that because he's someone she would have never met otherwise, who's not, you know, an academic hotshot, so opens her eyes a little bit. I like to think she would have got there without the help of the boy as well.
0: I quite like that she was average. You know, you read a lot of stories in general, whether it's YA, middle grade or adult fiction, and it's either they excel at everything, or they're complete screw ups. And it's like, well, no, maybe someone's just average.
2: Yeah, I think that as well. In YA, it's mostly students who are like straight A's. And if they mention universities, they always bang on about Oxbridge with an occasional nod of the head towards York. And I find it a bit odd, because the whole point of being average is that, you know, statistically, most people probably are average. And that's kind of the point of it.
0: Can we talk about Aaron? Because I never thought Aaron did the actual killing of Jade. I messaged Lauren and I said, (laughs) I don't think he did it. I think he thinks he did it. And I thought he was involved. I didn't think that he killed her, but the thought he had, like I just said. Was it always your plan for someone else to do it? So it was always your plan for Oliver to kill her?
2: Yeah, I think he has to have the ultimate responsibility, though Aaron believes that he did. So... I'll tell you a secret about Aaron so Aaron has this moment where he confesses to the murder and then he falls off this fire escape because he's trying to get away and he breaks his legs so he was originally dead when he did that um and that was kind of in an early draft and he just sort of fell and just you know snapped his neck or whatever um but that sort of narratively speaking, wasn't as satisfying. He was more used dead than alive. And he kind of comes to realise that he's done some really idiotically bad things, but he can kind of atone for that in the future. I mean, he's just your classic teenage boy who doesn't really think. But yeah, the intention was for him to very much believe he had, genuinely believe he had, and to be really regretful of that. And he thinks he deserves to rot in prison because he's done that so he's completely genuine there
0: I also wrote a note saying I think Jade is being given the presents rather than stealing them so why did you decide she would be less active in the stalking and not know about it until the teen screening so at the cinema they have a teen screening she turns up and she realizes that Mia exists and she sees Mia for the first time and obviously is very, very unhappy about this, but why did you decide she'd be less active in the stalking?
2: I think it's because she's been effectively completely groomed because she is at her heart, quite vulnerable. She's not very happy. Although she's not a romantic like Mia is, she's also looking for a boyfriend who impresses her, which is clear from the stuff Mia finds on her, her social media. So she has kind of been essentially taken for a complete ride and kind of made into a bit of a victim. And she could have been more active, I suppose, but I guess I find it difficult to believe that she could have continued being active if she knew about the significance of Mia and what she meant to Oliver. Because from Jade's point of view, Oliver's a slightly different older guy who's got a car and he listens to her and he's just really nice and she hasn't encountered that before. So she really doesn't want to an- antagonize him in any way. So yeah, I think she just needed to be a little bit distant from it all else. It felt quite unbelievable for me. But crucially once Jade realizes that Mir exists and she puts the pieces together, she does in her own way, human anger for a little while, but then try to do something active active to talk to Mir to try and warm warn her. And maybe if Jade hadn't ended up being killed, they could have kind of become allies and worked on it together. I'm impressed that she put it together. Actually, that seems quite smart for a teenager. (laughs) It is quite smart. I guess it was probably the case that there are enough small red flags. And just once she saw Mia and she witnesses the popcorn in the hair moment, she just can't really hide from it any longer. Mia's on the bus home one day and she starts getting messages that indicate
1: that her stalker could be on the bus too. And she gets off the bus.
2: Would you have gotten off the bus? (laughs) No, I wouldn't have got off the bus. And I think, and she just has a knee jerk reaction, but there's plenty of other people on the bus, including, you know, bus driver. I think there's some women that could have helped her. She thinks the stalker is this guy in a hoodie who just got on at the same bus stop as her. I guess I would have sat being freaked out, but you've got a golden opportunity to go upstairs and see who it is. And you probably can't really be harmed by him. So, yeah, she kind of misses, (laughs) misses that one, really.
0: I don't think I would have gone upstairs, but I think I would have stayed on the bus because, like you said, surrounded by people. She gets off and there's no one there. And then obviously it turns out that they were never on the bus in the first place.
2: Yeah, she makes a kind of wrong call there. She realizes that she's been really silly immediately, uh, but it's just her instinctive. I guess it's fight or flight, really, and she goes massively into flight. I found a
1: text exchange between Mia and the stalker, and a couple of times he refers to her as his beautiful Mia or beautiful Mia. That just that makes me want to throw up
2: in my mouth a little bit.
1: It's so gross. It's just so gross. It's so icky reading that
2: yeah and it's the my as well the possession and also beautiful is just such a kind of generic word to apply to her as well I don't know would it be worse if he was a bit more inventive with his compliment I'm not sure but yeah it's just vomit worthy
0: but then it's again it's something that if someone you wanted to say that to you was saying that you would have a different reaction it's obviously because she doesn't want this person to be saying that that it's that we find it creepy
2: yeah this complete unknown who's already decided I've got total possession over you without your consent just oh I need to be with you Mia
1: I can't control the way you make me feel everything I do is for us oh so grim oh it sounds even worse read out loud actually better does oh there's more that he says I'm trying to find a particular I'm trying to find the letters because I wanted to ask you about those but I can't find any of the letters
2: I wanted to ask you a quick question about them where the hell are they there's there's one letter that he sends to Quinn on page 198 I can probably find where the other letters are because they're in a different text oh here we go
1: yeah why are they written so badly like no (laughs) punctuation nothing that really bugs me I
0: thought that was deliberate I thought it was obviously he's trying to I figured that
2: yeah, it's, it's his persona. He's just not using capital letters or anything like that. And so spelling. Yeah, the, the note that he types to Quinn is just typed in a rage, and clearly he does not have autocorrect on his MS Word <laughs> or whatever he's using, and he just dashes it off the printer. But the letters he sends, sends to Aaron, yeah, they're a persona, so he's being quite calculated there.
1: But they come across – I've watched – some incel documentaries and stuff because I I'm fascinated by that all that weird creepy stuff that's what it reminds me of now Charlotte said it can you imagine him doing that in kind of an incel rage like I hate women I'm a nice guy I don't deserve this like Mrah!
2: and it oh just yeah comes completely. out. I definitely think there's a germ of incel, <laughs> incel stuff in there because he thinks he deserves things because he's such a nice guy
1: Mia thinks that she's not that clever and she's not that brave, but she does often stand up for people who are being picked on or threatened. And after that little text exchange that I was just reading, it goes on where he gives her a couple of perfect dates, both of which are make me feel disgusting. And then he says something about Quinn's sister and what she's wearing. So she then is really concerned that the stalker is at Quinn's house and she goes to check on Quinn's family.
2: Is this a brave or stupid thing to do, or a bit of both? I think it's definitely a bit of both because she does the sensible thing. She does call the police. So in theory, the matter's in hand, but I think for Mia, she feels helpless and she feels such guilt over the fact that as she sees it at that point, Jade has been killed because of her, but she really feels she needs to do something more active. And she also thinks that the stalker is watching the house from the back of the house. So there's not going to be any risk to her if she goes close to the front. So I think it's a little bit more stupid than brave because she has called the police and they are there. But she's just not thinking of that. She's just guilty.
0: And she's probably trying to take control of a situation she feels that she's not got any control over. Yeah I think there's an
2: element of that as well and that's kind of echoed in the whole brief kind of fake dating thing that she and Quinn do it's a desire to try and control the narrative a little bit although that ultimately backfires.
0: I did think she was very stupid to tell Oliver and Layla obviously because I suspected Oliver but I thought like surely if you're trying to do this keep it close to your chest because you don't know who the stalker is and yet you're telling your friends at the first chance you get that oh, we are going to try and you know hoodwink the stalker
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's not the greatest thing to do but she trusts them completely and I think she's also aware that what's going on in the stalker is already driving a little bit of a wedge in her friendships and she values them so much but she doesn't want those friendships to be damaged any further in that same
1: message exchange it comes up that she's not in a real relationship with Quinn. And the stalker's like, I just like hearing you uh, or something, it's something like, I just wanted to hear you say it, or I like hearing you say it. I was like, it's just so gross, especially Freaky. knowing that Oliver knows already because Mia told him about the fake dating. It's so horrible.
2: Yeah, maybe it's something about seeing it in writing that just makes them think, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. I think
0: so. Talking about Quinn, Mia seems really fixated on the idea that he told her he couldn't drive when actually he said he didn't have wheels. Is she being an unreliable narrator here because she's misremembered or I I don't have an all actually I'd started that question. and then. No I know what
2: you mean I think I mean from a writing point of view that's kind of there so I don't know if anyone is seriously going to believe that Quinn could be the stalker but that's that confusion over whether he drives or not is there. So that's a possibility. But I think it's one of those things that you hear someone say something and you can't quite remember the words they use. And you maybe take a slightly different sense from what they meant, because I don't have wheels could mean I can drive, but I don't have a car. Or it could mean, yeah, don't have a car, can't kind of do that. So it's vague. I considered him at one point. Oh, did you? I'm so glad you did because I wanted people to do that, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to fly really not-
0: briefly, really briefly did i I think and and I did think him and Jade were a bit at one point, but
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's just floating there as a possibility. And I think if a reader thinks about Quinn, they'll realize it's not going to really stack up. But I don't know if everyone, when they read these types of books, thinks as much as you do. I think they just go along for the ride a bit more. That's what I tried to do—go along for the
1: ride. And then, yeah, I was there, with my notebook writing things down, like when there were major red flags. The first person who gave me red flags was was Mister Ellison. But with Quinn, yeah, there was a point—it was more towards the end—that I. Suspected him for a bit.
2: Yeah, I think once kind of the romantic stuff between him and Mia is a bit more built up, which is obviously what the stalker apparently means. That feels a little bit more possible, and he's also not quite sure if she likes him that that way, and is reacting badly to a few things because he can't quite control his emotional emotions because he's a teenage boy and he has those kinds of issues anyway. And he clearly fancies her. Yeah, I think that's kind of quite quite obvious from the outset.
0: I thought he was really sweet with her, though, and encouraging her, helping her to come out of her shell, but also the bit where they dyed their hair. And he was like, oh, I'll dye it. I'll dye my hair blue for you. And I just thought it was really sweet. And he went to the party because she asked him to.
2: Yeah, he knows it's a really bad idea. And he doesn't want to go because he doesn't like people that much. And it's not really his scene, but she's asked and he wants to kind of please her. So he goes for that reason, even though he's really uncomfortable. And the hair dyeing is is definitely a sort of very sweet moment um, because, you know, who who doesn't love a tough guy who has a soft, gooey centre? Cliche alert.
0: Well, Was he always going to end up being a friend of hers?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, because I kind of like the idea that although he's got various issues, he's very much a work in progress. He does have this violent kind of past and appears to sort of have these aggressive, quite macho tendencies. Actually, when you strip it all back, he is kind of a nice guy, a genuine nice guy underneath that. And also the relationship that he and Mia have is, is quite a healthy one where they've taken time to get to know each other and they communicate well. And the relationships that she has with the other male characters, including Aaron, are actually quite unhealthy ones. So he was always going to be that romantic possibility because it's the healthy, good, wholesome kind of relationship at the end of the day. And he kind of cooks too, so hey.
1: <laughs> a slightly controversial opinion the fact that he dyed his hair when she dyed hers is that different to me than oliver going vegan for her like i don't know if you if quinn was the stalker and he'd done this stuff we wouldn't think it was so nice we'd think it was creepy i don't
0: i don't think that oliver going vegan to impress her is necessarily creepy it's the fact that he stalks her that is creepy
1: but it looks more creepy when he's been stalking her because it's that it's a sad thing people do when they try and be like someone to impress them and they kind of lose themselves because they're so
0: into someone else but she wants Quinn to do it that's the difference the difference is the attention is she she gets from Quinn is what she wants but imagine he'd been the stalker that
2: it would come across as a creepy a creepy way I guess Mm. maybe it's a bit different because it's not planned and it it's an experience that is about her making herself feel better. And although he gets his glow up, it's kind of a little bit incidental, but I do know what you mean. If he was the stalker, it would be massively kind of cringe. So it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think the vegan thing I bow that's almost worse because that's a sustained thing. It's a total lifestyle choice rather than a, I'm just going to have like platinum blonde hair for a while.
1: It could have been good for his health, though. Some people say that being vegan is better for your health. So,
2: yeah, being very health benefits.
1: He probably did. So the red flag moment that I mentioned, this is actually when they, when she tells them, when Mia tells them about the fake dating, which is so stupid that she does that. (laughs) And Oliver doesn't say anything. And she kind of notices that he isn't really responding to anything. And he says that they can protect her. And she says to him, I can't keep being a burden. And he says, spending time with you is never a burden. How can you say that? And he's obviously shouted at her and she acknowledges that he never raises his voice. I was like, oh, there's some red flags here.
2: Yeah, I think he's showing his hand a little bit there because he can't control this fake dating thing. And he really doesn't like it because he, rightly perceives Quinn as a a threat as well as not kind of liking the fact that she's trying to hook the stalker in so yeah I think that's definitely a kind of moment of okay is it just that he really fancies her in a nice wholesome way or is there something more to this maybe he should have suggested that they fake dates because clearly that works Yeah. He just wasn't thinking in that way because his tactic was, well, I'm just going to have this creepy stalker and I'm going to push her into my arms because I'm a nice guy. who deserves this. So wrong tactics.
1: The book deals with some really, really heavy themes. There's stalking and murder, but grief, fear, isolation. Was this
2: a tough book to write for you? I think uh, when I write these kinds of books with heavy themes, the, Thematic stuff doesn't really sink in until later because I'm focused primarily on crafting a story that's going to be thrilling and people are going to be guessing at. I just try and get it all out. And it's later when I edit that I start thinking, you know what, this is quite heavy. So I think just turning my brain off to that generally helps a little bit um, because if I overthink things, I just won't get anything down. And just out of
1: curiosity, you said that Oliver was always going to be the the perpetrator, but did you ever consider an alternative where Oliver was going to die in the fire in the cinema, or was it important to you that he faced justice?
0: Oh my goodness, that scene was so overly dramatic, I kind of loved it.
2: (laughs) It's it's deranged, isn't it? Um, Originally, he was going to die in the fire because I kind of felt like he deserved it, but... Then writing the end of it, it sort of felt like he got the story he wanted and he didn't have to face up to what he did. So it felt better that he hadn't got his own way there. Although, I guess, in a kind of bleak way, thinking about the justice system, I don't think he would get very much time behind bars for what he's done. I mean, he'd have a restraining order on Mir for life, but I think the only thing that they can really prove is the attempted murder in the cinema and the arson so I don't think he'd get very much time which is so depressing it was so dramatic the fact
1: he's like he was so sad as well like oh I'm sad I'm burning the cinema down but I'm gonna die somewhere that I love oh god get over yourself
2: (laughs) I think the thing is is uh he's being a dramatic little shit there and it's just so thematic I mean sorry cinematic is what I mean and it's so over the top but also kind of fitting for how he sees things and the fact that he's a teenager with these massive emotions and he's going to make a huge statement.
0: Doesn't Quinn call him a dramatic little shit? Yes
2: <laughs> he does which is which is what he is it's
1: succinct but true. You can imagine he's planned that out as well is that right if I can't have you this is what's going to happen. Yeah he's literally like he's directed the whole thing and just produced it and
2: yeah, he has. And he's the hero in his version of events. And it's going to be this dramatic ending. And they're going to be together forever, whether she likes it or not, which is just horrible. Oh, I
0: have one question. Why doesn't Harper like Quinn? It's not... I don't know if that's fully addressed.
2: Yeah, it's addressed in basically one one line or something, because I was quite massively over my word count for this book. I think it's said that she has cousins who go to the school that Quinn was expelled from. So basically she's heard the psycho Quinn rumors and she's really kind of wary of him for that reason. So it's not a great reason, but Harper also withholds information from the police for also not very good reasons. So she's possibly not very astute with her decision-making.
1: When she threw that milkshake over me, I was just like, I don't actually like you because you've got no real reason to do that. You're just being a dick.
2: It is a massive dick move as well. I mean, she doesn't know that she's vegan, but still it's just.
1: I'm not even for that reason, just in general. If she'd thrown it over Quinn, I'd have begrudged her less because she didn't like him, but she doesn't know Mia.
2: No, it's a really low thing to do. I know that my editor put a note saying, do we really need this? And I was like, yes, we really need it because <laughs> it's just such a dick thing to do, like you say. But that moment where Quinn is so nice to her is quite,
1: it's quite sweet.
2: Oh, with the pizzas and uh getting oh, like helping up. her, like
1: giving her stuff to wash it out and giving her a t-shirt and like looking after her. And yeah, the pizzas, are all very cute.
2: Yeah. Who doesn't who doesn't love a pizza? I mean, you know, boy with dough and sort of feeding, feeding her. I mean, that would that would do it for me because my husband doesn't cook at all. So, you know, it'd be really, really nice. But, you know, I can dream. I like pizza <laughs> as well. <laughs>
1: thank you so much for coming and talking to us about love you to death we both enjoyed it
2: so much and we were messaging so much about it oh uh, it's a pleasure those are the best types of kind of it, where I know you're at slightly different points but you can kind of share your theories and be kept on your toes so yeah it's been a blast I've really loved picking stuff apart and especially talking about spoilers for a change well, we
1: have another question. So, Mia is teased for fancying Quinn during what they say is a bad boy phase. Did you ever have a bad boy phase? No,
2: I'm so straight laced. It's boring. <laughs> I never went for the bad boys ever because I just, even as a teenager, I'd think, well, he's a dick. <laughs> he's just a dick to behave like that. I'm not into this. So, in real life, I'm massively on the nice guy side of the fence, which is kind of a bit a bit boring. Hopefully not the Oliver kind of nice guy. <laughs> no, I like to think I've got better instincts and would know a kind of fake nice guy, a feist <laughs> guy. I don't know what they're called. Not <laughs> the word. I'd like to believe that I can distinguish them.
0: Where can people go online to support you and hear what you've got coming up?
2: So I have the same handle on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. It is at Gina Blacksell, no dots, no spaces, anything. My surname doesn't have an H in it. It's misspelled all the time. There is no H in my surname. So at Gina Blacksall everywhere. And my website is ginablacksall.co.uk.
1: We haven't asked you this. And at the point that we're talking to you, the book hasn't quite come out. The episode is going to be out like a week after the book has come out. But you are so busy with what you do, with the amount of books you have coming out or you are at the moment. So
2: can you talk about what you have coming up? So I can't. Oh, there's a surprise. So, yeah, let's just say that I'm writing another YA thriller that is like Love You to Death and like You Can Trust Me. So in the same kind of ilk. Do you have a release date planned or too soon to ask? too soon to ask I'm kind of yeah I'm still banging my head over the first 20k so we'll see how that goes well we're really excited to
1: pick that up when it comes out and we will add all of your details in our episode description so that people can find you and yeah just thank you so so
2: much uh it's been awesome been a blast so thank you very much for having me again
0: Thanks for hanging out with us today, and again, special thanks to Gina. Follow us on Instagram at Demith Find the Podcast for more episodes. And if you're liking what we're doing, please rate us and subscribe. Check out our website at www.demithpod.co.uk. I've been Charlotte, she's been Lauren, and today we've been joined by Gina Blacksill.